0: So as you're sitting, let me just share a little bit of my heart with you. As I'm up here leading worship and and getting ready for the message, I have a thousand and one things going through my head from what's the next song, what's the next chord, when should I start preaching to um, I wonder if Ethan's okay, did I – You know, did I turn off the lights on my car? I mean, a thousand and one things are just flowing through my head, and I'm doing my best to just focus on Jesus as I worship. One of the things that I've struggled with over the past three years is being able to come down to, you know, what is the altar, and to minister to you um, as you come to the altar. You know, I I really do enjoy having someone play music as I come up, or as I come down, rather, uh, to pray with you. And I was up here, I was... the, the argument I've had in my head for quite some time, um, you know, how do I do both? So I prayed for him from a distance. And then I then I was struck by something that's very prevalent in our day and age. And uh for myself it was a false pursuit. It was something that I had to repent of. And that is that um as as a church, big, big church, uh, the the worldwide church, we are very, 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 and I say this with as much heart and love as I can, we are very Spoiled. As I was reading, and we'll read in just a little bit, the book of Acts and 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 the early church when they first began, um, they were flushed out of homes. They they gathered in synagogues. I mean, imagine if we had to go to church at a at a Jewish synagogue this morning, because that was the only place we could meet. We have a warm building. Uh, I have a guitar. I know how to play guitar. Um, we have people who love each other. We have so much. And in a day and an age where where production has just increased, where where a church service is almost like is almost like going to a, a play or or a theater type show, we've just become very spoiled with the things that we feel we need or don't need. And I want to encourage you that that as we continue and progress in this year to come, you're going to continue to see a ministry here that's probably going to be contrast to a lot of other ministries. You know, we're not going to have a huge stage set or, or things. Maybe you see on on television. Um, they seem to be the ones that have the bigger sets and stages. But but big video screens, flashing lights, smoke machines, things like that. Um, we're all about creating an atmosphere of worship. And I'm not trying to demonize those things. What I'm saying is that this is kind of what we're going to maintain. This is this is more than enough right now. And maybe this is all just for me. But I want to encourage you that we're just going to get things done like a family. You know, if you were growing up like me you know there wasn't always enough money there wasn't always enough time there wasn't always enough uh places for everybody to sleep there always there wasn't always enough of everything but as a family we survived we thrived together we served one another and and you know here we are at the end of it we're going to we're going to be okay and so all that to say that that what we're aspiring to do here at South Bay is simply preach the gospel of jesus if we, have, if, we get, you know, if we have these things or the monitor or, or, or better instruments or better sound or, or, or cushier cushions or better carpet, I mean that will all be just icing on the cake. But if we don't have the gospel of Jesus, we have nothing. We have a bunch of whitewashed tombs, and that's the last thing we want. That's the last thing I want, and I believe that's the last thing the Lord wants. And so I want to encourage you. If you want to be a part of what South Bay is doing, please just let me know. I have met with more people over the last month and a half than I think I have my whole time of ministering as a pastor. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I am thankful for every person who steps up and does something and just wants to do something. So with that in mind, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I once had somebody ask me, um, after telling me that they were jobless and needing a job, how I became a minister they looked at me as though they could apply to to be that as though uh, being a pastor would be the same as um, you know working at McDonald's or becoming a doctor or uh, becoming a lawyer or or working in an office somewhere that there simply was an application process you'd speak to Jesus's HR and then hopefully you would uh, get a call back for an interview and go through that process and become uh, a pastor and uh, while, while I looked at him kind of funny, I thought to myself, well, how did I become a pastor? That's a, that is a, a weird thing. If you were to ask me how I became a pastor, I'd probably get all, become all thumbs and, and, and not really know how to explain myself too clearly because it really was an experiential thing um, that I went through early on in my life and early on in my wife's life. Um, all that to say that uh, being a, a, a leader – I want to use the, the, the umbrella term leader um, in the church is a very uh, honorable thing. It's a good thing to desire, but God has called some to be leaders and some to not. And he hasn't called the leaders to be lifted up and exalted so that they look down upon the followers or the congregants, and they haven't created them to be taken advantage of either. They have cre- He has created, much like a husband and a wife, a team of people to join together to go forward in the gospel of Jesus to build the kingdom of God. And so one is not above the other, and, and one should not take advantage of the other. They should work together. But we have to be able to identify if, if I'm called to be a leader uh, beyond, uh, beyond just the normal being me, if there's something the Lord wants me to do specifically, um, a, a job, and specifically that I must do that one thing. How do we know that? And if we are feeling that, that the Lord is calling us to be a, a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist or a prophet or a teacher, uh, how do we know that? If if we are a dad or a mom, is that not a leadership role or is that not a calling? Um, if, if we uh, are in a position of management or leadership in our work or we are business owners, uh, how does that translate into the Christian life? Um, these are these are some of the questions we're going to answer today in our sermon series about the Holy Spirit. Um, it's the Holy Spirit's job to call whom he calls. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, "Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul talking to the Ephesian church, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called He's referred to multiple times in the New Testament and the Old Testament as He, as is the Father, as is the Son. The Holy Spirit is the third person, or we call Him the third person of the Trinity. He's every bit God that Jesus is. He's every bit God that the Father is. And uh, one of the things we struggle with, or maybe just I struggle with as a human, is understanding how this one is three and this three is one and i know for a couple of weeks ago for the children uh they were given the example of the egg and how the egg is is three parts but it's one it's shell and yolk and and the 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 clear or white part and it's it, it's all one they're all egg but it's all working together and, I, and and that's kind of the best way i can understand the godhead or the trinity but what we fail to to understand is we we see the father we we exalt you know we worship him and we know him through Jesus that's what Jesus said and we exalt Jesus for he's the one who died for our sins he was nailed to the cross so that we could be forgiven so obviously we worship him for all that he has done but we tend to forget about the holy spirit or we we so emphasize the holy spirit that he's Who he is and what he is to do is wrongly taught, and uh, it becomes a bunch of gobbledygook. Instead of worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth, we worship him in a way that is unfamiliar if you read the Bible. Paul encourages us there is one spirit working through many people. And as a result, you have the one same God working through many different people who bring lots of different things to the table. Some have great ministerial skills, and that's great, and that's what they bring to the table. And some are great encouragers, like when you come, when you just want to hang around with them because they're always making you feel like you could get through whatever you're going through, that you can accomplish anything. They're just great encouragers. You have some that have great faith. It seems like no matter what the world throws at them, they just keep standing. They just keep believing. They just keep keep trusting in the Lord. You have those who who can prophecy. That the Lord gives them something to say that is timely, that is from the Lord, that, that is backed up by his word, that, that no one else could know. That no one else can deliver, that the Lord uses them in that way. You have others who, who might speak in tongues. They pray in a in a heavenly language that we can't understand with our human ears, but, but between the Lord and them, they do. And there are people who can then uh, are given the gift to interpret those tongues. I'm going I'm to go ahead and apologize. Because Ethan is sick, I have my phone on to be notified in case anything's wrong. Um, and the truth of the matter is, if I got a text or a call saying I had to leave, I would be leaving and someone else would be finishing the sermon. Uh, going back, though, there are some who can speak in tongues and there are some who can interpret those tongues, who, who God will give them the understanding and then share with us uh, the message. And you'll and you'll see this all happen in an orderly fashion. You know, when I go to a church service and, and it's crazy, you know, I I I I I feel as though based on the scriptures that maybe the Lord's not really in this, that maybe it's excitement and maybe it's feeling and maybe it's emotion, and maybe people are authentic, but the Holy Spirit's not working because it lacks a lot of order. God is an orderly God who can keep his children wrangled, and and if things are going out of control, then maybe the Lord's not in it. One Lord working through all of, all of us, and that same Lord calls us. Now, truth be told, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all working together, call. In the Old Testament, you see the Father calling out men like Abraham, Joshua. You see men like David, set apart by the Father. Then you see Jesus come along, and he, he chooses his disciples. He tells Peter, and, and he tells uh uh john and he tells james and, he, and 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 the others come come with me be fishers of men i'm calling you to follow me to do something and then you see in the book of acts you see the holy spirit begin to call men as well it's not an exclusive uh, job that the holy spirit has it's a job that he with the with jesus and the father all share in common they all call together now we we don't set up teams i was called by jesus i was called by the holy spirit if you're called by one you are called by all but we have to understand that there will be leaders in the church now we live in a culture that does not like leadership now not not all people i'm painting with a broad brush here but but in general leadership authority is looked down upon that when you go to work tomorrow, your manager, your boss, he's not the most popular guy there, at least not to the people underneath him. He is, in, in the worst case scenario, he is the enemy. And Maybe he deserves that or she deserves that. But it causes us to want to rebel against that leadership. Children grow up. They want to rebel against parents. You know, kids grow up, they want to rebel against the government. Adults do this, they just keep growing and they become adults who rebel against our government. And sometimes there's reasons to be rebellious against uh, wrong things. I mean, I get that. But we have to be careful that we don't have a rebellious spirit against the Lord and His authority. And there are some people who would say, well, no, there should be no authority. That there should not be anybody who is in charge. And And then there are others who fall, you know worship the leaders and they don't say that but they create an atmosphere where the leaders are worshiped and when that leader falls destruction just lies in their wake whether they whether they like that ad uh, admir, admiration or whether they just you know couldn't stop it and so we have to have a biblical understanding uh, a, a Jesus focused gospel centered idea about what leadership is so we don't worship leaders or rebel against them that we work together as a pastor I'm the leader of this church but only so much as Jesus lets me I cannot go and do what I want if I go and try to do what I want I will take people down in my wake and Jesus will remove me to protect the people of this church he will not allow me to go and do whatever I want that will be destructive to me or my family or you as a church and, and, and I like that because I don't want to mess anybody up. <laughs> I don't want to end up 30 years down the road being known as the guy who messed up everybody's faith in central New York or in Canistone or whatever because I preached a false doctrine or because I wanted to make a lot of money or I wanted to sell a lot of books. I just want to preach the gospel. And I want to be – if anything, I, I don't want to be known at all. I want Jesus to be known. John the Baptist, when it came time for Jesus' ministry to begin, he stepped back. John the Baptist was famous. People were coming to him. He was yelling at them, repent, be baptized. There's one coming who I'm not fit to tie his shoe or untie his, 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 his sandal. Jesus showed up. He said, I must decrease that he might increase. As gospel carriers, that's that's always our our, our agenda. That we wouldn't be the heroes of the story that Jesus would be, hey, how'd you make it through that? Gosh, you know what I, I'm going to be honest with you if it weren't for Jesus, I don't know, because I turned left and he made me go right and then everything everything turned out for good, even though i I kept messing up. Now sometimes we're rebellious against leadership because leaders take advantage of their authority. um the eighties are like the poster child for pastors gone crazy. Preachers and televangelists who took advantage of people and took advantage of congregations and just left just left destruction behind them. And as a result, there are a lot of people today, 20, 30 years later, who refuse to go to church or listen to a sermon or or be under authority because someone has rebelled in that way. Has 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 taken that leadership and destroyed it. Um, we can't worship a leader, but but we can't refuse to to be follow either. Our life is always found in that balance. Um, just because someone got it wrong doesn't permit us to no longer be under authority. We we can't simply blanket over everything and say, well, that one leader was bad, so all leaders are bad. Doesn't work like that. That one church was bad. All churches are bad, no. That one church is bad. Let's just let's just maintain it. That church was bad, that leader is bad. Yes, but there are all these other leaders and churches that are good. That are actually in love with Jesus and pursuing Jesus and preaching the gospel. So so maybe you want to be a leader. I've never been a, a afraid to be a leader, but this was not something that I sought to do. Um to give you the experiential side of this, I was in a, a sermon on a Sunday morning. I was watching my pastor preach. I'd only been at that church for a couple of months. And I, and I thought I, you know, and the best way I can describe this with human words, the Lord told me to go do that too. And I said, you know, I thought this is crazy. Um, I've, I've never read, I think, a whole book of the Bible, let alone the whole Bible. Never preached a sermon. Don't know nothing. Why? And uh, I, I began to tell my wife this, and she was saying, you know, the, the Lord's been telling me the same thing. And I went to my pastor, and the pastor said, you know, the Lord's been telling me the same thing. Without us kind of talking to each other uh, and, you know, just being individual, coming together, we all kind of had the same idea. And so I began to pursue that. Now, I know others who kind of felt that same thing and then started to go down that road, and it all fell apart. And they decided, you know what, maybe, maybe this wasn't exactly what the Lord said experientially, that's how I went through that. But I want I want us to be careful because sometimes wanting to be a leader is a pride thing. Some people have control issues and they want to be in control of everything. And so their need to be a leader is really just a need to satisfy that sense of being in control. And if it's a pride issue, then we have to get that pride in check before we become a leader. Otherwise, you're going to destroy yourself and everybody else. Um, if it's... If it's out of rebellion, that leader was bad, so I'm going to be a leader. Well, that might be a good start, and Jesus can clean that up. But that's not the best place to be when you're going to start something, when you're going to start being a leader, when you're going to you know, start pursuing a church or, or, or just doing anything for Jesus. A place of rebellion is not always the best place. That's why uh, every church split doesn't always end up with two really great churches. You really sometimes have two churches that just suffer. Because they're both wounded and need healing. But can anybody be a leader? A lot of questions today. When it comes to being being a leader in the church, I think there's very few things that I am more careful with than appointing or, or, or getting somebody to a place of leadership. Um, because the wrong person in the wrong place ends up hurting people, sometimes unintentionally. And sometimes when you have somebody who's bent on pride rather than than pleasing the Lord, you have somebody who who will take advantage of others to meet their own needs. It's not about what Jesus wants, it's about what gets them the recognition. And that's a dangerous place. And so, going back to my original statement about us being uh spoiled kind of in the place that we're at, you know, we would love to have, you know, a multitude of pastors A giant worship team. The need for another building that's big enough to house all the people coming. But at the same time, we're in no rush. Like I'm in no place uh, to want to just put anybody in leadership simply because uh, they they have an inclination to do so. I used to work in a certain field in practice. I won't name it because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But um, there'd be times where they would ask me to do overtime, and I'd be beat, and I you know I I don't. I don't really want to. I could use the money, but whatever. And they say, look, all we need is a warm body. It was basically their way of saying, look, we, we just need somebody here. You could, you could sleep. You can play video games. You can doodle. You can do whatever you want. But we need somebody here. We need a warm body here. And that might work in other fields, but that doesn't work in the church. You overwhelm somebody or you put a prideful person in that place, and, and real lives are devastated. People, people will then use that as their excuse to never go back to church, to never pursue Jesus. It won't stand up when they stand before the Lord and say, well, that person, and no. But for here and now, we want to make sure that we're given the best testimony. And so now turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We see that one spirit works, that God calls leaders, that some people want to be leaders for the wrong reason. And so now we've got to make sense of all this. How do we get leaders? Acts chapter 13. As you're turning there, um, in Acts chapter 9, a man named Saul is going about and he's killing the church. This church is probably three to 5,000 people at this point, worldwide. Um, no permanent buildings. Uh, if they do have some, they weren't originally churches. They weren't built for that purpose. And, and, and this man Saul is going around with, with orders from the, the Sanhedrin, orders from the Pharisees to kill the church. Anybody who is pursuing Jesus, they can be executed. Well, he goes and he is present at the stoning of a young man named Stephen. In church history, he is known as the first martyr. He's the first one to die for the gospel of Jesus. And he stands back approving uh, the crowd as they stone Stephen to death. And as Paul is going back and he's getting more orders to go to other places to pursue christians to to stop them from their quote-unquote false, false religion the lord gets a hold of him and he has this vision he's struck on this road to a place called damascus he's blinded and he meets jesus and jesus tells him why are you persecuting me know that when when jesus is when the church is being persecuted it is jesus that's being attacked We are a part of him, and he is a part of us, and and it's not as though the church is attacked and he is absent. He is attacked as well. And Paul recognizes right away this Jesus that these other people are following. That's God. And he falls, and he's blinded for three days. He meets a man named Ananias, and from there on out, he follows Jesus. He becomes one of the most influential men who have ever lived on this planet. Written something like two thirds of the of the New Testament is written by him or about him. This man who was was just from a leadership position, he was a murderer and a killer. God takes him and redeems him. And at first, the church is kind of like, "Whoa, who is this guy? Why is he in here with us?" Like that would be weird on a Sunday morning to to have a known person who hates the church all of a sudden sh- show up and say, "Hey guys, I'm one of you." I mean, I I don't know about you, but I'd be a little apprehensive. Like, whoa, you know, are you armed? Like, what are you doing? Who's with you? Let me pat you down. Okay, I want you to sit where I can see you all the time. Have a couple other guys watching him. Like, I wouldn't just welcome him in with open arms, right? And that's part of my human frailty. I know that. But Paul seemingly, at first they're a little apprehensive, but then they welcome him in. And at this point in chapter 13, he's gone off and he's done some things, but the Paul that we know has not yet begun. So he's sort of been a a fill-in, you know, doing some work here, doing some work there, just happy to be along for the ride. And at this point, he's going to be set apart by the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. So Acts chapter thirteen verse one says this: Now they there were in uh, excuse me. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul who would later become Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, uh, for the work to which I have called them." Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So in this gathering, you know, you could call it church because that's basically what it was. In this gathering, you have men who were held in high esteem already. It was apparent by their actions that they had roles of leadership. And now it was time for the Holy Spirit to set some of them apart to do a certain work. How did they know who and how did they know when and how did they know only who? You know, why is it not everybody and just a couple? Here's how they knew and here's how we know. First off, the church was together. They had come together. They were worshiping. They were united. I find that God does very little things through a divided church. Now, that doesn't mean they're all on the same page all of the time. It's football season, and you all saw Ben. He came in with a Packers jersey, and some of you are like, oh, that's Packers. I know for me, my team's not in the playoffs anymore. I mean, we're divided in that sense. To me, football's dead now. I could care less about football, whereas just a few weeks ago, it was, it was a, an awesome thing. Uh, next August will be good. But we can be divided. You know, some, some of you don't like certain types of food. Some of you hate the winter. Some of you love the summertime, and and that's great. Some of you love the fall, and and we're divided in that sense, and that's okay. That's what makes us unique. Some of us are are night owls. Some of us are early birds. Some of us like Mac. Some of us like Android. Some of us uh, like NASCAR, and some of us like whatever the opposite of NASCAR is. I don't know what the opposite of NASCAR is. But, But we're just different, and that's okay. We can be united without being uniform. We all dress different. We all sound different, and that's okay. But we have to be united. And churches that are divided, that that start setting up leaders, you start seeing them crumble pretty quickly because nobody's on board with with, with what's going on. Nobody's on board with the same mission, and nobody's on board with the same message. So, So the first thing we see is that the church was united. Number two, we see that this was all a result of worship. They weren't necessarily looking to appoint leaders. They were just worshiping Jesus. The main point of them getting together was to look upon Jesus, to read the scriptures, to be taught, to hear a sermon, to to sing songs, to love one another and love those who are unloved. The main point of their meeting was not to appoint leaders, but to just worship Jesus. We are going to always gather on Sundays and Wednesdays and with the main goal of worshiping Jesus. When we have our annual meeting, the goal will be to worship Jesus. When we have a Bible study, the goal will be to worship Jesus. If we have, uh, like we did a couple years ago, Financial Peace University, it's all about worshiping Jesus, even though it's about our finances. Everything and all things come back to Jesus and worshiping Him. And this church was worshiping Jesus first and foremost there wasn't a voting process there was no application process there was no uh you know majority vote there was there was none of that they were just worshiping Jesus number 3 it was unanimous everybody knew the same thing everybody knew that the people that they heard from the lord that should be leaders were to be the leaders. There was no disagreement among them. Now, we're not told whether they hashed this out verbally. We're not told if if there was this lengthy process of debating. But we know that at the end of it, they were all on the same page. They were all united and unanimous about who was going to be set apart, Barnabas and Saul, who would later become Paul. This is the most important part of 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 all the most important parts I, I I say it's the most important but you really need all of them they made sure they didn't just have you know if you ever seen the um the movie uh the kingdom of heaven it's about the crusades and uh you'd have these these men who were in leadership and and one guy would say something like I want a ham sandwich and then another guy would say the lord wills it and then everybody agreed yes ham sandwiches for all okay that's not how it works Um, if I have a whim everybody shovel my driveway and then somebody over here says the Lord wills it you you guys don't have to go down to my house and shovel my driveway just because two weirdos are saying go shovel my driveway but even after they prayed they worshipped they were fasting they, they came together and decided you know what the Lord is telling us through the Holy Spirit it's Barnabas and Saul they went back to prayer and fasting they said you know what I want to make sure that every that what I'm hearing now is of the Lord I want to make sure that this is correct and that's okay church you know there are going to be times where we have to just run on the fly if the Lord tells us something we just got to go but there are other times where we have the the ability and the privilege to weigh things out you know what let's reconvene tomorrow Let's let's tackle this next week. Let's, Let's pray about this. Let's sleep on this. Let's talk with our spouses. Let's talk to the church. Let's find out. Let's make sure that even though we're all on the same page, that we're all headed the right direction together. Also, as a side note, it says that they were worshiping and they were fasting. This Wednesday, we're going to start a Bible study about fasting. It's called The Lost Art of Fasting, what the Bible and Jesus say about fasting. Fasting literally is a lost form of worship. And we see here that as a result, that it, it was not just they fasted and they knew. They incorporated fasting into worship. And if some of you don't know what fasting is or think fasting is simply just not eating, um, then then you don't have a biblical view of fasting. And we want to understand what that means so that we can worship the Lord through it. It honestly is, uh, it is an amazing tool and weapon that we have in our arsenal that, that just sits there and grows dusty because we're Americans and we don't like to not eat. And, I, and I'm the most guilty of anybody here of that. When I was first appointed here, it was a regular thing that I did. And then as I got comfortable, I just stopped doing it. And over these, this last week, my wife and I began a, a fast and uh, I got to tell you, it's been an amazing week It's been a great week, not just because good things happen, it's just a drawing closer to the Lord and I love it and so, I want to encourage you to be here on Wednesday at seven o'clock so that you can learn about biblical fasting. Of course, consult with your doctor because I don't want to get sued but if you If you want to know what fasting's all about, how to use it and and what it's meant for as a Christian, be here on Wednesday, and we'll take a couple of Wednesdays to talk about that. Can I be a leader? Some of you don't feel feel like you're worthy to be a leader. That's a good place to start. I mean, if you're comparing yourself to Jesus, the greatest leader of all time, that continues to lead in the best way ever, then to consider yourself to be a leader too, you have to say, you know what, I don't I can't hit that mark. That's okay. Um a, a healthy, low self esteem in that aspect is an okay starting place. But it doesn't negate the fact that God still might use you. In the the New Testament, I believe it's Paul who says that God chose the foolish things of this world to to basically uh, confront the wise, to confound the wise. To those who think they're so smart, God takes the least of us, raises us up, and uses us to do mighty things. I think that's awesome. I praise God for that. First Timothy three and one says this this uh, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer or a leader or a deacon or a pastor or a preacher a place of leadership he desires a noble task if you want to be a leader that's a good thing if there's no pride involved the task of being a leader is a noble thing and that's a good thing but then Paul begins to list 15 attributes of what it is to be a leader or, or what a, you should look for in a leader, what a leader should produce in his life. And it's not that this is a, a, a legalistic approach uh, to appointing a leader, but Paul gives Timothy and gives us some marks that we should look for when it comes to a leader. So in verse 2, Paul says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. What does that mean? That means that – here's the best way I exemplify being above reproach. You go to the store. The lady at the register gives you back too much money. And you say, ma'am, you gave me back too much money. Here you go. As a church, we talked about the tithe envelopes earlier. We stay above reproach from our government by having those envelopes. And should they ever show up at our door and say, hey, we want to see the envelopes. We would show them, hey, here's our envelopes. We are above reproach. We aren't shady. We aren't trying to do things backhandedly. We're not trying to do things behind the scenes. We are above reproach. We are honest. We have integrity. We we don't cheat, steal, or lie simply because it will be an advantage to us or because it will um, save us from pain. The husband of one wife. See, now if you're legalistic, you'll say, that, well, then only men can be a leader because of this. No, it's just if men are going to be the leaders in this example, they must only have one wife. They can't have 15 wives or two wives or, or, or three girlfriends and a wife. They, they have to be the lover of one woman for, for their lifetime commitment. There's no polyamory or polygamy involved. Sober-minded um, in a few minutes, Paul will talk about being a drunkard. Um, this brings up the question, can I drink if I'm a leader? Some churches have in their bylaws and in their doctrine that a leader cannot drink. And if they do so and you're part of that kind of a church, then you should honor that um, because they're in the position of, of leadership and authority. And if they have place that there, then if you want to be in that church, then abide by their rules. But essentially what they've done is they've excluded the Lord from being in a place of leadership in their church, because as he had his earthly ministry, he drank wine. Um, He says that he will not drink the fruit of this vine again until he returns. Okay. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what kind of wine he produced at the wedding, but I'm assuming based on the testimony of the, the person throwing the banquet, he said you held the good wine till the end. I'm assuming that Jesus made really great wine. All that to say, can I drink? Yes, you can. The better question is, should you drink? And certainly, if you're going to drink, should you drink to a place where you're a a bloody mess at the end of the night? Absolutely not. If it is a vice, it must go. If it is a crutch, it must go. If it is a beverage that you enjoy with a meal, I don't see the problem with that. My personal um, sort of legalism, if you will, as if it doesn't taste good, I don't know why I'm drinking it. If I'm drinking it and it tastes bad, then maybe I have wrong motives. So it has to first at least taste good. I'm not real hoity-toity when it comes to wine, so it has to taste fruity, first and foremost. And then I can't go from a place of being uh, drunk. I have to remain sober-minded as a leader. I have to remain in a place where I'm not inhibited because of what I've ingested. Respectable. I believe in giving respect to a position before you give it to a person. That's why if I go to another church, I may not know that person, but I'll respect the pastors and the leaders that are there. And then I might find out that they're deplorable people, but I'll still respect the position. But then, uh, then with others, I'll find that they're amazing people that are respectable, and they have double respect for me. A leader should be a person who can be respectable. They're looking to earn your respect. We live in a day and an age where people demand respect. For the Christian, it's the opposite. We're going to act respectable. We're going to be respectable before anybody ever gives us any kind of respect. Hospitable. Is it just me or is when somebody somebody shows up at your door, it's kind of like a unicorn showed up nowadays? Like people showing up at your door to me is the weirdest thing. Like I didn't grow up in an age of door-to-door salesmen. I didn't grow up in an age where you just popped into somebody's house. Like, hey, I just decided to come to your house. Like I'm I'm of the age of text messaging and email and Facebook and and phone calls. And if you leave me a voicemail, like – you're on the list all of a sudden because I have to check a phone call. Like that's that's the age I'm from, okay? And the kids kids under me are even worse. But the Bible says that leaders especially are to be hospitable. And what that means is is that you are to be welcoming. And so I know for me and my wife, we've looked at our home. Instead of it being a place to just live, it's a place where we can offer sanctuary for people. Who can come in and just just be themselves. Just come in and know that they're loved simply because they're 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 people. Simply because they have come into our home, we we love them and they're safe. They can share things that, that aren't going to be shared outside of those walls. That their kids can come in and play with our kids and just go off into the playroom where all the toys are and just wrestle and have make a big mess and not even worry about it. Or we can just eat a good meal and just enjoy some good talk and and play video games or watch a movie or, or eat popcorn, just hospitable. And for some, being hospitable is very difficult. I know for me, if you left me alone, I would just sit in the dark by myself. And if nobody bothered me, I'd be okay with that. Because I'm an introvert when I'm outside of this place. I'm, I'm introverted. So hospitality is not that, not that easy for me. But my wife... She's like a social butterfly. Like She wants to just invite everybody into her home. And she wants to make sure that you're comfortable when you come in. And she wants to knit you a sweater when you come in. And she just wants to love you. And my children are the same way. And they'll run around they'll tell you about our dog. And they'll tell you about their toys. And they'll tell you about that mark on the floor that we're trying to hide. They'll tell you that's how that happened. Kids are great. Number seven, able to teach. This is a hard one. I'm not – outside of the Bible, there is little I can teach to people without growing incredibly frustrated. Um, Had a young man approach me once and his mom say, can you teach my son how to play guitar? She wasn't from the south. I don't know where that accent came from. Can you teach my children how – my child how to play the guitar? Sure. And so we'd show up and they wouldn't practice. And I – it was everything in me to not take the guitar and just say, look, this is how. This doesn't teach them anything. He didn't learn how to play guitar. Awful teacher. Bad teacher. But when it comes to the Bible, call it anointing, call it Holy Spirit, call it whatever, there's this ability to teach. And and being able to teach is basically being able to simplify things that are super complex. The Bible is incredibly complex, and dumbing it down doesn't help anybody, but simplifying it does. Making it accessible does. Not making it relevant, not making it palatable, but simplifying it. What is the word saying? That means that the person who's able to teach must be in the word continuously. They they can't afford to be lax when it comes to studying the word of God. Verse 3, Paul says, not a drunkard. Everybody has a drunkard in their family. They're usually an uncle, or at least in my family. And it's just that guy who wakes up drunk. The guy needs help. The guy needs to go to rehab. He needs, he has ex- exhausted every family member. This is not a person you put in a place of leadership. A person who is given over to drugs or alcohol, it's not that they can't ever be a leader, but in that moment, they should not be placed in leadership. Being a drunkard is not allowed verse 3 continued not violent but gentle. Okay, I'm a pretty peace-loving guy. I'm not I'm not always, I'm not one of those guys that always wants to push and bump and grunt and the cliché guy stuff. Um and that's good. It's not that it's not that being a man is a dishonorable thing. It's just that being a man should be defined by how Jesus is. He's the perfect example of what it means to be a man. Okay, so the male chauvinist stuff is not needed, but being a man is. And that doesn't include being violent. That should not be our go-to. It's one thing if somebody breaks into your home and you have to defend yourself. Or someone comes at you and you have to defend yourself verbally. But when someone says, hey, how are you doing today? And you slap them in the face, that's a violent man. When somebody means something good for you and you only see ill in it and you attack... That's violence, and that's not – we're called to be gentle because sometimes in that violent mindset, we say and do the stupidest things, don't we? But when we're gentle, we have a lot more patience. We're a lot more calm, and we can – instead of look, reading too much into a message, we say, oh, okay, I see where they're going with that. I see what this is meant to be, and I can continue to be gentle, not quarrelsome. Um, a disagreement and a debate is a good thing. But have you ever seen two children quarrel? Sometimes they're four years old. Sometimes they're 40 years old. But they're children quarreling nonetheless. A lot of, a lot of immaturity. If there's people who are prone to that kind of activity, then the, being in a place of leadership should be put on hold. Not a lover of money. This is a big one. Okay? I and mean, they're all big. But is money evil? No, money's not evil. Money gets you stuff, right? Everybody here probably wishes they had just a little bit more of it. And maybe a lot of it, a lot of it, like a lot more of it. But money is not an evil thing. The men or the women who have it, who have evil hearts, well, then that's a problem because the same 5 bucks that could go to feed somebody who's hungry can be used to be given to an organization like ISIS to help kill people do you understand how the it's the hands of the person who holds the money is what makes it evil and paul says that that the person who's a lover of money is not in, not in a pl- ready for leadership yet verse 12 or excuse me number 12 verse 4 he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Paul says something profound here. First off, that if this person who is in leadership wants to be a leader of God's household, he first has to be a good steward of the household he has at home. That if the house at home is out of order, and for each one of us, that's different. For, for some people, if we lined up my family and your family, they would look completely different. And order looks different because of our daily schedules and routines. But you know what out of order means in your household. If it is out of order, then this is something that has to be rectified before you can be entrusted with something much larger like the church. The household God has given you means that there is a calling upon your life as a mom or a dad. That goes beyond simply birthing a child. It goes beyond simply adopting a child. It means that God has placed you there specifically for a reason. And he expects you to steward that well. If you want to aspire to be a leader of something larger, you have to start at home. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert. Why? Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. One of the the worst things a leader can do is find somebody who's just given their life to Jesus and then give them a lot of work to do because they don't know anything, because they haven't learned to trust the Lord. They haven't been tested or tried. Contrast this with, with David fighting Goliath. He said he wouldn't wear armor that belonged to King Saul because he'd never tried it before. So he couldn't trust it. That was armor. No intelligence, no voice, no nothing. Just a hunk of metal. And David wouldn't trust that in battle. Paul says a new convert is a great thing, but they have to be rooted and solidified before they take on a position of power. If you're a new convert, one of the first things you want to do is do anything. Let me do something. Let me fold programs. Let me... Make coffee. Let me call people. Let me preach. Let me teach. Let me do something. And some things are okay, but too much too fast will lead to your destruction. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, it's it's my job uh, appointed by the Lord to hold back from giving you too much. So I'll be honest with you. We've gone through a long time where the leadership here has been a little core group and and we've longed for more people. And, and, and for me, I'm like, yeah, let's let them do something. He's like, well, wait a minute! I don't want to destroy them. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt them simply because they're new and fresh and want to do stuff. So Paul says, hold off. Verse seven. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is a big one because there's people who have the mentality that, well, you should be making the outside world angry by the pursuit of jesus that you have the way that you worship the lord should make other people angry because you're so bold with your faith and i would say paul tells the people who are called to be leaders the ones who are aspiring to be that you should be thought of well by outsiders that when you go out into the world it's not that you're friends with the world it's not that you are are doing the things that they're doing but there's a respect there that you haven't come in to just destroy them you've come in to love them and care for them and to seek their heart because god has died for them and so you're known by the church and respected by the church and you're known by the world and you're respected by the world now there'll come a time where you preach the gospel and they might persecute you that's totally on the table it might happen but the your MO cannot be, well, if I just gotta make, I just gotta make the non believers angry. I gotta rile them up. No, Paul says leaders especially. That's not what we do. Now many men will meet these qualifications, or many women will meet these qualifications, but not have a call from the Lord to become a leader. You can be a man who meets all these qualifications. If the Lord doesn't want you to preach or teach or pastor or whatever whatever the role is you're seeking, then your best thing, the best thing you can do is find what the Lord wants you to do first. Quit trying to take your round peg and put it in a square hole. Find the hole that you were made for, that, that your peg was made for, and find that place and flourish there. And I guarantee you there will be no place better for you to be. Do we have to be perfect? It sounds a lot like Paul's looking for perfect people. No. But there's a difference between a child who's running away and being held onto by a parent by their collar and a child that is up against the parent hugging their leg and holding their hand. Both are in the grasp of their parent, but one is running away and one isn't going anywhere. There's a difference. For a Christian, there is a Christian who's running away, trying to find their own way, trying to make things perfect, trying to make themselves a leader, and they're just running, and God's got them by the collar. But then there are Christians who who know that they need to do something, but really are afraid that they're going to, to do it in the wrong way, and they're just up against the Lord, Lord, what do I do? And I tell you, if you're going to choose one of those two paths, this is the one you want to be on, up next to the Lord, what do I do so that he may calm your fears so that you might go out and do something turn to Matthew chapter 20 share with you a really fun story then we'll deal with submission and then we'll go home Matthew chapter 20 verse 20 says this then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him she asked him something now Notice this mom. This mom comes up to Jesus. She bows down. She's worshiping. Probably wearing her special Jesus hat. She's she's coming in the right way, the right mode, respectable. Well, you know, and respecting his authority. Verse twenty-one. And he said to her, "What do you want?" She said to him, "Say to these two sons of mine, uh, s- say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom." This mom, like most moms, wanted greatness for her children. And that's okay. not here to badmouth the mom. Last person's list you want to be on is a mom's list. But what she wants for her son is for them two, out of the 12, to stand out. To be in a position of leadership, right hand and left hand of Jesus. His right hand man and left hand man. Basically having almost equal power to Jesus, above the other ten disciples. Jesus answers You do not know what you are asking are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink they said to him the sons and possibly the mom as well we are able he said to them you will drink my cup but to sit at my right hand and to let and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father and when the 10 that's the other disciples heard it they became they were indignant at the two brothers because wouldn't you be i mean if you were arm in arm with 11 other guys for three years and you've smelled these men for for three years and you've you've seen everything that they could do and it's just you've it, it's like college times four or three say I didn't go to college so college times three uh, it's just crazy and these guys stand up and say wait a minute who are these guys we've been here just as long you know why? Because they want that too. They're not indignant because they asked for it. They're indignant because they're not going to get it. If these two men are appointed this position of authority, then the other ten don't get it. And so everybody's mad at everybody. So of course Jesus has to come and straighten things out. I love that Jesus doesn't take this opportunity to just blast everybody and tell them to get back in their place and shut up. He tells them something and he teaches them in this moment of weakness. one of the greatest attributes or aspects of a leader must be submission. See, as a follower, you would say, I don't like leaders because because we have to submit to them and they might take advantage of us. And, And that's true, unfortunately. But if you want to be a leader, if you want to be on the other side of that fence, you must be in submission as well. You must be in submission to the Lord and you have to be a servant of all. There is no position where you're elected and then you're untouchable if you aspire to go from being somebody who sits in a pew to being somebody who wants to be a part of what the church is doing you go from a place of sitting to doing for others it's a place of action it's a place of of preparing and doing things behind the scenes that others may never see jesus said to his 12 disciples look everybody everybody wants to be a leader you want to be a leader that's a good thing you will be a leader by serving. You will be a leader by submitting. And I, I'm here to tell you today, if you want to be a leader, if you want to step up and do things, it will involve being a servant to other people. And the best way to check your pride is to see if that makes you mad or if it doesn't. If that makes you angry, the idea of being a servant to another person then you're wanting to be a leader for the wrong reason. Ultimately, our goal is to preach the gospel, whether it's here on a Sunday morning, Bible study Wednesday nights, whether we go out into the community, whether we do stuff on Facebook, whether we prepare uh, blogs or or, or whether we have meetings together individually. The point is always Jesus. You might come to me for marital counseling. My goal is to get you to the gospel of Jesus and the truth found therein. But that doesn't have anything to do with my marriage. Oh, it has everything to do with your marriage. You have problems financially. Well, let's get you focused on Jesus. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. No, it has everything to do with Jesus. If Jesus is not your God, then money might be your idol. If Jesus is not your God, then you might be your own God. If Jesus is not your God, then maybe your marriage is all about you and not about us and It's all about that person, what they're doing, what they're not doing. But getting you focused on Jesus will then cause you to focus and see your unholiness and say, you know what? This is what I have not done. I am not perfect. I need this and I need that. Jesus calls leaders because he loves us. He promised to not leave us nor forsake us. And one of the ways he does that is by sending the Holy Spirit, who then calls men and women to be leaders. And those leaders aren't to be worshipped. Those worshipped, excuse me, those leaders aren't going to be perfect. Those leaders, myself included, are going to say something or do something you're not going to agree with. And hopefully those leaders are serving you. In a capacity where you can approach them and say, this is what I think. So I'm calling you today. First, if you if you feel that you're called to be a leader, that's something we need to talk about. If you're not called to be a leader but you're rebelling against leadership, that's something we need to talk about. That's something we need to pray about. That's something we need to, to work out of you through the Holy Spirit, through Repentance. And we all need to submit. There's nobody who submits 100%. We all struggle with moments of complete submission and other moments where we're just completely rebellious. But as I look upon the cross and as I look upon Jesus and what he's done, the pursuit is worthy. Whether it's submission by being a follower or submission by being a leader, it's worthy to, to be both. I want us to pray together that, I mean, it seems like a self-serving sermon, like I'm trying to teach you how to be better followers of me. I'm really not. Um, it's for any leader in the church. It's for Kristen and Justin. They're just as much leaders of this church as anybody. They're teaching your children about Jesus. Your children will know more about Jesus because of their leadership. And we need more people like them to do that. When we have Pastor Ben sing up here, he's leading us in worship. When Pastor Bob comes, he leads us in worship. And we don't worship him or them or those. We we submit to the Holy Spirit and the leaders that, they, that he has called. So let's stand. Let's pray together. Let's worship the Lord for just a few more moments. Jesus... It is a hard thing to come underneath leadership because it goes against our autonomy. It goes against our sense of survival. It goes against uh, our own need to be an individual. And truth be told, Lord, there's a lot of men and women in groups who have abused leadership, whether it was at at one level with parents or whether it was government or whether it was church or whether it was whatever – Or there are people who have abused, and we don't want to paint with such a broad brush that we we exclude every leader. Lord, but we want to submit to leaders that are good. We want to submit to the leaders that you have appointed, that you have called through your Holy Spirit. Lord, if we are called to be leaders, Lord, I'm praying that you would amplify that, that we would hear that and then begin to test those spirits, to test those waters, to know whether or not that's true to check our hearts, to make sure that it's not a pride issue of wanting to be in control or wanting to be at the forefront and getting the recognition, but it's actually a a heart of servitude and wanting to love. May we weigh our our hearts against the, the list that Paul points out here to see whether or not that we're in a place to even become a leader, that we're managing our household well, and that we're not drunkards, and we don't love money above everything. Jesus, just help us. I thank you, Lord, for South Bay Chapel and the people you have appointed here. They are awesome. I love them. and I know you love them too. May you be blessed today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.